Well, hello, friends. Good morning. It is so good to be back with you. I was gone last week traveling with family and some with my wife as we celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary. So that was a lot of fun. Had a good time, but glad to be back. Oh, the applause are all for her. Trust me. Trust me. The applause, if you're impressed with anybody, be impressed with her. Yeah, it's good. That's hard work, uh, putting up with me all this time. But uh, she's good at it, and we had a great time, and are glad to be back. Uh, this week. Our, our kids were actually gone all week. Maybe some of yours were too on the youth mission trip, which gets back today. I don't know if you've heard reports. They've been doing great work. They've been in Alabama doing some great stuff there, so we'll be excited to have them back. Well, let's see. It's complicated. Um, we are wrapping up our series. It's complicated today. We've been talking about all kinds of different uh, uh, relationships and all kinds of different places we find ourselves in life where you might get the sense that it was simple, but we all know better. We all know it's really complicated. Uh, Listen, before I jump into, though, today's message, I do want to say something, and I'm not super well prepared to say this, and so I might get this wrong, but I just feel like I need to say something. You know, um, this week has been one of those weeks where suicide has been just all over, you know, everything. Uh, we had two high-profile people, well-loved, uh, commit suicide. And, of course, what we know is, of course, thousands of other people across the country that we've never heard of committed suicide this week. Uh, it's an epidemic uh, in our country. And so I tell you, it's, it's not my main thing, and I'm not really prepared to say much on it, but I just felt like I needed to mention, I just want to say, um, we know, uh, doing some reading this week, you know, as you do when something comes up, I discovered what maybe you already knew. There's been a 50% increase in the suicide rate in this country in the last 20 years. Um, 50% increase. And so I just want you to know, if you are struggling with life today, okay, you are not alone. We love you. Uh, please tell somebody. Please tell somebody. If you're depressed, tell a friend. Listen, depression is not some weird thing that makes you too odd to talk about it. Depression is normal. It's super common. But you do not have to stay stuck in it. You can get help for that. So please, I'm begging you, reach out to somebody. Tell somebody you need help. And if the first person ignores you, you tell somebody else. I hope today's message might even help. It isn't about suicide, but it is a message of hope. In fact, I tell you, I'm super excited to, to preach this message. It's one of the ones I've been the most looking forward to. It's a message uh, about, well, in my notes, I called it the second half of life. But, but it occurs to me that wherever you are in life, you can kind of think of the next half as the second half, can't you? It doesn't necessarily have to be that you're in the middle. You could feel like you're toward the end, but the next half could be the second half. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, This last status that we're talking about isn't really a relationship status. It's more of a life status. 
For some of you, we might be talking about what do you do as you face retirement? How do you make that second half of your life really matter and make a difference? Uh, For some of you, we're talking about uh, what do you do after college? You feel like the first half of your life was preparing for life and the second half of life is living your life. Okay, what are you going to do next? Or or maybe you truly mean the second half of life. I kind of hope that I'm in just entering the second half of my life. I'm 43. That sort of feels like, you know, I'd like, I'd, like to, I'd like to double this number at least. That feels good to me, right? Maybe you're in midlife like me and, and you just need to stop and think about the second half, the next chapter of life. That's the life status we want to think about. And you know that midlife, that this second half of life transition, you know it's complicated because the most thing, most, what's the most common thing we say about midlife is about the midlife crisis. You know, we talk about this. I love, I love hearing about uh, people who have a midlife crisis because, you know, there are funny examples out there. The, you know, the fool who goes out and buys a car they can't afford. Um, I remember about six, seven years ago, a friend of mine who driven minivans for about 20 straight years. All of a sudden, one day, he showed up at my house on a motorcycle. I said, where did you get that motorcycle? He said, I sold my minivan, bought a motorcycle. I said, but aren't you supposed to take your kids to baseball games all summer long? He says, that's exactly right. Next time I saw him, he was driving a minivan. He said, what did you do? He says, I sold my motorcycle and bought a minivan. Because he, he, he wanted to be in a different phase of life than he was. You know? I mean, and you know people like this who get a new car or a new wardrobe, right? Of course, sometimes the midlife crisis is not funny. We also know people who in their midlife crisis abandon their family or drift away from a life of purpose and meaning into a life of self-destruction and selfishness. We know those people too, don't we? And it's more than a midlife crisis. Uh, you may remember, it's probably five years ago, it felt like every paper had a front page story about the, the new quarter life crisis. You know, that people in their, in their 20s were having this same sense of abandoning all that they were headed toward and trying to forge off in some new direction. And I was reading an article just six months ago about what they're calling the retirement crisis. As all these baby boomers get ready to retire, and for so many of them, when they, they realize their whole identity has been so wrapped up in their professional life that all of a sudden when they retire, they've got nothing. And so they do all these crazy things too. And mostly, we either mock the midlife crisis or we mourn the midlife crisis. But I will say, I do know a couple stories Maybe you know some of these stories too. I do know a couple stories where people have had a midlife crisis that was pretty awesome. I knew a pair of empty nesters in their late 40s who had a midlife crisis, quit their jobs, moved to Kenya, and lived the rest of their days as missionaries in Kenya, planting churches all over the place. I knew a retired couple who had a midlife crisis and they moved to a new city so they could help plant a church in one of the most unchurched cities in the United States. All their friends told them they were crazy and they agreed they probably were. 
but they'd grown up with the benefit of the church and they wanted to give that benefit to other people. So they just said, we can do it. We've got the money. We were going to move to Hilton Head and play golf. Instead, we're moving to Annapolis to plant churches. Whoever heard of that? I knew a C-level executive in a big, great big company who took an early retirement so he could take his leadership experience and he worked pro bono for three or four local nonprofits, helping them reorganize, communicate better with donors, make more efficient use of their resources. Everyone said he was crazy. The stock options alone that he gave up, they told him. And I suppose he was crazy. But boy, that whole little county, every little nonprofit in that county was better and sharper and smarter and more effective because he gave his expertise to them. In fact, I want to suggest a possibility to you today. Uh, just very simply, I want to suggest to you today that many of you might be in need of a midlife crisis. Some of you are just desperate for a midlife crisis. Or if it's too late for a midlife crisis, maybe you need a three-quarters life crisis. Okay, maybe you need one of those. Or if it's too early for a midlife crisis, great, you can have a quarter life crisis. Or you can have a however far along you think you are crisis. How about that? But, but wherever you are in that spectrum, I am pretty sure that a lot of us today need a life crisis. Jesus loved to cause a life crisis in the lives of the people he interacted with. He loved to meet people who were just cruising along. They knew what their life was for. They knew where their life was headed. They knew what their life was designed to accomplish. And he loved to interrupt that. He loved to cause catastrophe in the lives of people who knew exactly where they were headed so he could redirect them in completely different directions. One of my favorite stories about Jesus, it may be because it features a younger brother and I'm a younger brother. I just love this story though. It's about one of the times that Jesus tried to cause a midlife crisis in a middle-aged man who was just trying to get what belonged to him. That's all he wanted. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't greedy. He just wanted to get what belonged to him. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. A middle-aged man came to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge, an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, to anybody who was listening, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant Harvest. I just want to pause right there and have you notice something. I love the way Jesus tells this story. The ground of a certain rich man 
yielded an abundant harvest. Do you see how Jesus notices? Jesus reminds us that that which we produce is not what we produce, but what God produces. He doesn't say a certain rich man was a super successful farmer like it was the, the man's was the reason. No, he says the ground produced an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what am I going to do? I have no place to store these crops. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Tonight's the night. This was the night. This is the night. This very night. Your life is demanded of you. Who's going to get all your stuff? Who's going to use all those brand new barns? This is how it will be. Whoever, Whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Younger brother, middle-aged guy like me, his parents die, as parents eventually do. And he just wants what's his. Uh, The the reason he had to come to the rabbi, uh, Jesus, to ask for his brother to divide up the inheritance is because in, uh, in Jewish law, in Jewish inheritance law, the elder brother was always the executor of the estate, right? So when the parents passed away, everything passed to the elder brother, and it was their responsibility to distribute the rest of the inheritance. But until they got around to distributing the rest of the inheritance, they had it all. And so you can see why it was in their financial interests to take their time. Which is what our, the situation our younger brother finds himself in. He just, remember, here's the thing. He's not being greedy. He just wants what's his. And we tell ourselves this all the time. When we pursue the things of the world, we invest, when we invest more and more deeply in the things of this world, we tell ourselves we're not being greedy. We just want what's Ours and his elder brother wasn't giving him his share of the inheritance, and so he comes to the rabbi, Tell my brother to give me my share. This is a normal day, this is a normal request. And Jesus says, You need a crisis. You need a crisis. I think one of the reasons Jesus loved to cause a crisis in our lives is because Jesus knows, and some of us need to recognize, that in our lives we are headed in the wrong direction. 
We were talking about this, uh, this thing that happens to us in life where we get headed in the wrong direction. We were talking about this in a preacher planning meeting, and one of the guys in the meeting said that if we're going to talk about walking in the wrong direction, we need to show this uh, video clip. So I'm going to trust him, and here we are. Here's a little video clip about going in the wrong direction. say you ran the wrong way and that's of course exactly what Jesus is saying to this middle-aged man who just wants his share of the inheritance you fool you are running the wrong way I remember the old cliche that's always been a good picture to me the cliche goes some of us spend our whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to discover when we get to the top that it was leaning against the wrong wall that can happen to us so easily can't it while you're busy climbing the ladder all you see are the rungs you're being careful not to look down all your attention is on the ladder and what's the next step in the ladder and the next step in the ladder and the next step in the ladder and if you're not careful you discover you are on the wrong ladder or you're on the right letter, but it's on the wrong wall. And by then, you're up top, and you're there, and you wonder. It sort of feels like it's too late, doesn't it? And this is why you can see, for, for many of us, in fact, I would suggest for most of us, having a good midlife crisis every now and then. Wherever you are in the middle of your life, if you're in the beginning of the middle or the end of the middle or the middle of the middle, wherever in the middle you are of your life, having a good midlife crisis every now, every now and then strikes me as a good thing. I bet Jim Marshall wishes he had had a midfield crisis, right? I bet he wishes just for one second he'd looked around to see where he was. Some of us need that. This is why I like it. I love it when I meet somebody, meet a young person in the middle of a quarter-life crisis. Some of you young adults, you need right now to have a quarter-life crisis because you're two steps up a ladder leaning against the wrong wall. And if you don't look around quick, you're just going to keep walking right up it. I'm curious, young people, do you have a strategy for living a life that matters? 
Tell me about the path that you're on. Tell me about the wall that you're climbing. Is it one of meaning and hope? Are you pursuing relationships that honor God? Are you pursuing work that matters? Are you committed to God's church? If not, I would suggest you need a quarter-life crisis. This is why I like a good midlife crisis. If you, were, if you who are in, in midlife right now, if you were to come to Jesus with your top five life needs, I mean, that's what the guy did, right? He came to Jesus with the desires of his heart. Isn't that what we're always told to do, right? Come to Jesus with what you want. That's all he did. He basically prayed, right? When you'd ask Jesus for something, isn't that basically prayer? I'm just curious, if you came to Jesus with the desires of your heart, would Jesus be excited to grant them? Or would he call you a fool? Seems like you've got to figure that out. If Jesus got a chance to analyze your calendar and your checkbook and your life goals, would they be the goals of a fool? Are you quite possibly halfway down the field carrying the ball, listening to the roar of the crowd, and totally unaware that you are running toward the wrong goalposts? It happens to people. In fact, from my vantage point, it seems like it happens to most people. It could happen to you. If you're about to retire or if you're in retirement, I'm just telling you, I hope you have a retirement crisis. I do. I hope on the first day of your retirement, you and Jesus get to have a frank conversation about what your retirement is for. Because if you're pretty convinced your retirement is mainly about golf, you need a crisis. If you haven't asked God if God would grant you a second act of radical service to God, you need a crisis. If your retirement is more selfish than it is selfless, you need a crisis. Now, now, now let me be clear. I don't want you to have a bad midlife crisis, okay? Everybody knows that bad midlife crisis is bad. Don't let your crisis be an opportunity to double down on stupid, like, like my friend did who sold the van to buy a motorcycle and then had to sell his motorcycle to buy the van back, ended up with a worse van and lost about four grand, okay? Don't do that. But a good crisis, it might be just what you need to live a life that matters. I love that letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, the first one he wrote especially. He, he deals with lots of problems, but toward the end, he's got a whole chapter where he talks about the resurrection. Uh, that chapter ends like this. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, when the last trumpet plays. The trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The perishable must clothe themselves with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, and when the perishable is dressed up with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? 
Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then after 57 verses about the resurrection, Paul says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you always gives yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do you see that? The reason Paul talks for 57 verses about life after death is so that he can challenge you about your life before death. That's the takeaway for Paul. The takeaway to all that stuff he has to say about life after death is to challenge people about their life before death. He says that because of the resurrection, though all of life is swallowed up in death, that which is in Christ will last beyond the grave. Every barn you build will be swallowed up by death. All the wealth you collect will not make it past the grave. All your achievements and all your trophies and all your lake houses and all your promotions and all your accomplishments and all your awards, all of this is swallowed up by death. The rich man said, I will tear down my barns and big bigger barns. And then God came to him and said, you fool. Today, your life is required of you. But, Paul says, your labor for Christ is not in vain. That alone will outlast the grave. I love to meet people whose lives are dedicated to the work of Christ. Just this week, I called a guy, retired guy, member of our church. I called him because uh, I needed somebody who could go make a very complicated pastoral call for me, and I knew this guy could handle it. So I'm on the phone asking, do you have time to go do this? And he said, oh, I'd love to, but I can't. I just picked up so-and-so to drive them to the doctor's office. I'll be there a couple hours and then be back. If it can wait, I can do it this afternoon. I said, no, that's okay. We'll, we'll do it. I love that. Don't you love it when you call a guy to see if they can make a pastoral call and they say no because they're already making a pastoral call? Their labor in the Lord will never be in vain. This guy, I met him, he was retired. I don't even know what he did for a living. But all the money he made in life, that's not going to make it past the grave. But all the people he's visiting on behalf of God's church, that's going to go with him. His labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love watching people make this switch. I will say, if this is something you need to wrestle with, there's a great book called Halftime by Bob Buford. Go pick it up. If you need to figure out how to make your second life matter, second half of your life matter, We'll pick up Halftime by Bob Buford. The short version of this is this. There are so many ways to waste your life. 
the opportunities, the options you have for how to waste your life are endless. You can waste it chasing money. You can waste it chasing power. You can waste it chasing land. You can waste it building barns. You can waste it in drugs. You can waste it in anger. You can waste it in partisanship and division. You can waste it in collegiate sports. So many ways to waste your life. There is one way to live a life of eternal meaning that outlasts the grave. We talk in the church about repentance. And as I've said before from this pulpit, but I'll say it again until we all know it, repentance is not what naughty people do who, are, who want to stop doing bad things. Repentance is what people who were walking in the wrong direction do when they start to want to walk in the right direction. Repentance is what the guy does when he says, oh my goodness, I was about to build all those barns. I think instead I'm going to see how I can honor God with what the land produced. Repentance is the midlife crisis where the person says, I have lived the first half of my life, the first quarter of my life, the first three quarters of my life. I've lived the first half of my life pursuing things that will not last past the grave. I'm going to live the next half of my life. I'm going to live the last quarter of my life. I'm going to live however many days left of life God gives me pursuing only those things which will last past the grave. Let's pray. Gracious God, give us a crisis of our lives. Call us God. Away from all that distracts us and binds us to this life and instead call us to be your complete servants. Call us to pursue the things of your will. Pursue your values and your goodness and your glory so that our labor in the Lord as you have promised will not be in vain. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.